This morning our scripture reading will come from Matthew 26, verse 46. Matthew 26, verse 46. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. There we go. It's great to see everybody this morning. I, I love this time of year. And there, there's, there's lots of great things that happen this time of year. But one of the great things is we just get together a lot. Uh, I know a lot. most of us, in our, our schedules are always busy and there's always stuff pulling us apart. But this time of year, it seems like we're always being pushed together. And, and I like that. I think that's important. I appreciate everybody that came out yesterday, uh, our fruit baskets, and some of you got the privilege of delivering those. Some of you guys got the privilege of receiving those, and, and, and that's, it was a really great time. But something happened this week that's probably never happened in my entire life. You want to know what it is? Miss Gail wants to know what it is, so I'm going to tell Miss Gail what it is. I don't know what the definition of going viral is, but I think as close as I've ever been in my life, I was a part of something that went viral. Were you at the church Christmas party Monday night? If you were, then you saw, you saw us having a good time. Over 900 people have viewed a video of Thomas Neal at the church Christmas party. And, and that was a lot of fun. And if you haven't seen that, I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope you see it, but I, hope, I really hope that you come next year. Uh, we just had a great time. It's good to be with our brethren. We're going to continue this morning and even this evening our journey through the life of Christ and trying to figure out how to, how to piece all these things together in so many weeks. And, and I want us to spend a lot of time here in this Passion Week. And we are in the garden. We, we are in that, in that moment of that Thursday evening in, in our journey, and tonight we will talk about that trial of Jesus. But this morning, we're still in the garden. And I hope that you remember some of the things that we talked about last Sunday morning. I, I, I find these lessons to be some of the most challenging lessons that, that I've preached all year to prepare for. Not from a factual basis, from, from an emotional standpoint. It's really hard to express the depth of what is happening here. To, to express the pain, to express the, the discomfort, to, to, to express the trust, to express everything that Jesus is going through. But, but, but I, hope, I hope that we're seeing a glimpse. I hope that last week we, we saw a glimpse of, of the Son of Man. Jesus, that man who was struggling with where He was. Everything in his life had led him to this point, but he was still struggling with it. He was exactly where he wanted to be, and at the very same time, wanted to be somewhere else. And he was struggling with it. And he was asking his father, he was begging, he was pleading with his father, if there's any other way, then I want us to pursue that way. And his father said, there is no other way. And when we face those moments in our life, I hope and I pray that we draw strength from these things. I hope that we understand that, that, that all of those prayers that, that we think have never been answered, listen, you're not the only person who's ever dealt with that. The Son of God dealt with prayers that He addressed to His own Father. And they were all heard. 
But they didn't turn out the way that He wanted them to turn out. We have a high priest who can sympathize with me and you. And what we see in the garden, in many ways, is a man who has been pushed to the very brink of what he can sustain. A man who is crying out, and not a tear rolling down his cheek. The Hebrew writer says he is crying out with loud cries. He could be heard. And then he looks up. He looks up and he's talking with his disciples and he sees a group of people entering the garden. And I'm I'm fascinated by this passage of Scripture because I think it tells us so much about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, the Bible says that Jesus said to His disciples, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going, for behold, the One who betrays Me is at hand. And in many ways, it almost seems like Jesus... Has, he's come to terms with it. That thing that he struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled with, that thing that, that, that he has seen and he has felt the, the, the very hand of sin on his life, he's come to peace with the fact that this is not just the work of sin and evil, but this is exactly where my Heavenly Father wants me to be. And that's a hard place to come to. That's a hard decision to make, but Jesus seems to make it. That's where He pulls... Listen, Jesus pulls Himself together. And He looks up and He says, I know what they're here for. He looks up and He doesn't just see Judas and and, and He doesn't just see the, the, the chief priest, but John tells us that they have come with an entire cohort of Roman soldiers. As many as 600 men were there on that night in that tiny garden there for one purpose, to arrest Jesus Christ. You ever had a group of people who were after you? Can you imagine if there were 600 people who were here and they're here to get you? That's what was going on. Picture that. We we probably have around 400 people here. Everybody do me a favor. Alright? Everybody look at Donnie Jean. Everybody look at him. Alright? Quit smiling, Daniel. We're not here to smile. Alright? Because these people were not smiling. I want you to understand. I want all the focus in the room to be right here. Sheila, scoot over. Okay? You know, I want all the focus in the room right here. And give it the meanest look that you've got because you're not here to play patty cake and you're not... You know, yeah, Sheila can do it. Okay? But they, they, that's what's going on in the garden. 600 people, more people than we have in this room, are here to to get one man, to get one person. They're going to take hold of Jesus Christ. Why in the world do you need 600 people to get one person? I don't know the answer to that. It could be that they thought He would run. It could be that that they had heard the stories before about how people had tried to arrest Him or they tried to throw Him off a cliff and He'd pass through their midst. You know what? It could be that, that they had heard about His miracles. It could be they were scared of the people. I don't know the answer to that, but they knew that they were going to take, they thought if they were going to take hold of Jesus Christ, they needed an immense force to overcome and to force this thing upon him. And Jesus walks up to them. Jesus walks up to them. And the Bible says that Jesus, knowing all of these things that were coming upon him, 
He went forth to them and, and said, Whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? See, Jesus, Jesus took all of the air out of, out of the room. All of that pressure of what, how are we going to get Him and what are we going to do? And we've got this whole little thing set up so we can actually figure out who He is when He tries to deceive us. Jesus says, who are you here for? Why don't you say it? I know what you're here for, but I want, I want to hear you say it. Okay? Who are you here for? Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus said, I am He. I'm not here to hide. I'm not here to play games. You're here for Jesus the Nazarene? I'm right here. I'm right here. And even as I say that, I almost feel like I said that almost in a boastful way. I don't think Jesus said that in a boastful way. I am He. I'm the one that you're looking for. And He asked them again because it seems that they were almost in shock. Who are you looking for? I am He. And the Bible says that they drew back and they fell to the ground. 600 men fell to the ground. And once again, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if there's some demonstration of, of the glory of God in that moment. I don't know if they're just so uh, unexpected to hear Him talking like this. But, but there's something about that moment that causes these grown men, these grown soldiers who were there to bring Him into custody, that causes them to fall backwards and to fall to the ground. That's what's going on in the garden. I've shed my tears. I've prayed my prayers. I've pleaded with my Father. And now I'm ready. I'm ready. All through the life of Jesus. What did He say? It's not time yet. It's not time yet. People have come and they've tried to make a king out of Him before. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm here for. People have come and, and, and they've tried to throw Him off a cliff. And He said, no, it, it's, not, it's not the appointed time. People have come and, 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 they've, try, and they've tried to make a fool out of Him. He said, no, we're not, we're not doing this now. Jesus had done amazing things and He's told people, don't tell anybody because, because it's not time yet. It's time. It's time. And I want us to understand this morning, and I especially want us to understand as we focus upon the cross in, in the coming weeks, that Jesus chose to be there. And you should always check your fonts before you put... <laughs> I don't know what that is on the screen. That says He chose it. That says He chose it. Okay. Uh, just take that off of there. That really bothers me. Just, just stop the PowerPoint. That's what they always tell us in school. If it messes up, just forget it. And that's pretty bad messing up. Okay. He chose to be there. We need to understand that. Jesus chose to be in that garden. No one was going to take Jesus that Jesus didn't want to take Him. He's going to stand before Pilate, and we'll talk about this this evening, and Pilate will say, don't you understand what we're here for? Don't you understand that, that I have power over your life and your death? And Jesus will say, you have power because I give you power. You have power because I give you power. You are doing to me what I allow you to do to me. Jesus is in control of the situation. He chose it. I want you to understand that Christianity is unlike any religion that, 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 that exists. No one's going to force you to do anything. 
Nobody's going to force you to do anything. I think sometimes... So, so sometimes we, 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 you know, we stiffen our neck and we bow our back and, and we, we get all agitated. You, you're trying to make me do this and trying to make... No, no one's going to make you do anything. Matter of fact, you, you could go out and you can do anything that you want to do. Anything that you're capable of. The most vile, the most evil. You can turn your back on God. You can leave this place and never look back. You can become, listen, you can go out there and you can preach against this place. You can preach against this place. You can do all of those things. Nobody can make you follow Christ. Every one of us know of people that we would like to make follow Christ. I know people that, that, that I'd, like, I'd like just to snap my fingers and make them follow Christ or bob them upside the head and make them follow, but you can't. And you can't make me do it either. And Jesus could, but He won't make you do it. Jesus chose to be there. The plea that comes from this pulpit this morning, the plea that comes from this body on a daily basis, is choose Christ. Why don't you choose Christ in the same way that when Jesus went to the cross, He went there because He chose to be there. It's a volunteer organization. And that's kind of scary sometimes, and even that's kind of dangerous sometimes. But that's what it is. Because our Savior was a volunteer our Savior of the world said, I'll go. I don't have to go, but I choose to go. And what I'm begging and I'm pleading and what Jesus died for is that you choose to follow Him. Nobody was making Jesus on that day. Nobody was making those things happen. Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. I am He. And friends, what seems to be so much in the control of Jesus, the things that He has rule and dominion and power over, we all know that many times we look at from our perspective and they seem so much out of control. Don't they? Don't we look at life and the situations of life and we wonder where is God and what is God doing and this doesn't make any sense and, and, and this the world is spinning out of control. My life is spinning out of control. Well, in this moment, when Jesus was choosing to be there, and He's saying, I am, I'm the one you're looking for, and the only reason you can take me is because I'm going to let you take me, but that's what I'm here for. I'm choosing to be here. All of His disciples are looking around, and they're in that same garden, and they're in that same moment, and they're saying, what in the world is going on? This is out of control. we got to do something. we got to do something about this. And so the Bible says that Simon Peter, who was always so rash, having, having a sword, he drew it, John 18 and verse 10, he drew it and he struck the high priest's slave and he cut off his right ear. And the slave's name, the slave's name was Malchus. It was Malchus. He's going to do something. Because what he saw was an innocent man. He saw a man who had never hurt, a, hurt another individual. He saw a man who had taught his disciples, when someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn to him the other cheek. He saw that man who was being accosted by, by an army of over 600 men. That's what he saw. That's not what all that's going on. But that's what he saw. 
And his solution was that very earthly and that very human solution. I'm going to draw my sword. And he takes his sword, and, and I don't know if he meant to cut off his ear or if he was trying to chop his head off, but, but he, was trying to, he was trying to hurt him. He was trying to stop these men from what they were going to do to his Lord. And the Bible says that Jesus rebukes him and He says, put your sword back in its place, Matthew 26. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He at once will put, my, put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Put your sword away. You don't understand what's going on. Because you're looking with your human eyes instead of, under, instead of seeing things from that very spiritual perspective. Friends, the battle that we face in this world is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. What we're good at is fighting physical battles. Those physical battles, they're not going to matter. It's a spiritual battle. And Jesus takes, Jesus takes that man's ear who's laying on the ground and He reattaches it. He reattaches it. And somebody who's had a piece of their body cut off and it didn't go back on the way it was supposed to, let me tell you, that's no, that's no small miracle that He did there. I always wonder about Malchus. A lot of people think the reason His name is there because Malchus became a Christian. Do you think if someone could heal your body that way that you would follow them? I don't see how he couldn't follow him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Verse 70, you are looking at things outwardly. You ought to be looking inwardly. Our battle is a spiritual battle. The battle that we face, the reason that we're here, you will not win that battle by the sword. Many people have, have tried to win the spiritual battle by the sword. There have been wars that have been fought throughout the history of the world trying to win people to this religion and that religion. And almost every religion has, has its own things to blame. By the way, anytime that happens, don't let people sell you in this that Christianity is responsible for all of this bloodshed. A perversion of Christianity is responsible for bloodshed throughout the ages. Not Christianity. Not the followers, not the true followers of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't let people spin that lie. We have wars today all over our world. I, ever since I've been a, a small child, I've heard people talking about peace in the Middle East and whether there will be peace or there won't be peace. Do you know what those wars are about? At their most base level, those wars are about religion. Those wars are about God and, and what sort of God you will serve and what sort of life you will live. Jesus will not convert you by the sword. I can make you, listen, I can make you a follower of Allah by the sword. I can make you into that. If you do certain things at certain times in certain ways, you will be a faithful Muslim. I can't make you a faithful follower of Jesus Christ by the sword. It's impossible. I can make you do a lot of things. If I'm big enough and I'm bad enough and I'm strong enough, but that won't make you a Christian. You have to choose that. It is the spiritual battle. We must understand that. When we struggle in life and in situations, we don't win by the sword. You've seen it. Maybe you've been a part of it. 
People that say ugly things. In the name of Christ? People that belittle and berate? People that get mean and hateful? Brothers and sisters in Christ that make threats against each other, at times, unfortunately, even come into blows. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you haven't. It's happened. It's happened. It ought not happen. That's not what Jesus Christ is about. And I need to be careful that I don't become about that in the defense of Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual battle wherein we fight for the hearts and the souls of mankind. We're seeking Jesus the Nazarene. Here am I. And here's Judas. Judas has this... He's already been paid, right? 30 pieces of silver. He's been with Jesus all throughout His ministry. And all of a sudden, Judas hollers out, Hail, Rabbi! What? You're coming here with all of these men and all of these soldiers, and, and you're saying, Hail, Rabbi! Man, sure is good to meet, good to see, to see you, Tommy. I'm trying to act like nothing's going on, and I don't know, I don't know, you don't, you don't know what I'm here for, right? But you do know what I'm here for. And he goes up and he gives him a kiss. Why does he do that? Jesus already told him who he was. The whole thing was, well, we're going to have to have some way to, to secretly identify who he is. Judas is going to earn his money. But you know, it seems that Judas, Judas has some desire to maintain the, the, the impression, I'm still a faithful child of God. I'm still a holy man. Right? Why didn't they set it up that Judas was, would go along and say, there he is. That's the man right there, right? That's the man. He turned 30 years old right on Friday. Dustin, you're going to get a man's haircut before you know it, but there he is right, right, right there. He didn't do that. He put on this big show of, you know, hey, man, good to see you. He goes up and gives him a kiss. What's he doing? I want people to think I'm still holy. While he was doing the most unholy thing imaginable, betraying the Son of God. Do we ever do things in our life do we ever do things in our life because we want people to think that we're holy? We need, to, we need to get some serious thought about that. Hundreds of men, hundreds of men came to seize Jesus Christ. And so if, I, I, I think that at times if we spend as much time and energy and resources actually being holy as we do trying to appear holy, it would change this world. It would change this world. The most holy man in the world was about to be arrested and murdered by unholy people because they didn't think he was holy. That's what's going on. The most holy man in the world is about to be arrested and murdered by unholy people because they didn't think he was holy. You see, Jesus was not, he was not like them. He looked at them in Matthew 26 and verse 55 and he said, have you come out to me with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a robber? I mean, who, who do you think I am? You come out here like I'm some brazen criminal, like I'm some sort of a robber or a murderer? Every day I used to sit in the temple and teach and you did not seize me. Who do you think I am? I'll tell you one thing. I'm not what you think I am. I'm not, I'm not a common criminal. I don't behave in, in, in the ways as you apparently think that I'm going to behave. 
But they thought he would. I mean, anytime you think you've got to get 600 men to, to, to drag one person in, you think something's about to go down. You think something, and you're not thinking something real godly is about to go down either, are you? Who do you think I am? Is the world surprised at the way that we walk? We're called to be light in a world of darkness. We're called to respond in ways that other people are going to be surprised at. I'm going to tell you, there are some ugly reactions in this world. Uh, Most of us have been on the receiving end of those things. Do Do we shock the world in the way that we respond? When people are unreasonable? When situations are vicious? When sinful opportunities are placed right in our lap? All those things are going to happen, aren't they? I mean, they're just going to happen. You live long enough, you're going, it's going to happen. If you look like Christ, how do you respond? Do I blow up? Do I lose my temper? Do I say ugly? Do I, I mean, because that, that's what the world does. That's what, that's what people expect. That's not what Christ did. It's not what Christ did. And that's not what the followers of Christ do. I want us to understand that maybe one of the reasons that they thought the way that they thought was because they'd been hurt themselves. Maybe they'd been mistreated. They probably had. Maybe they had this this hatefulness in their own hearts. Maybe they responded that way. I don't know. And I love the old adage about how many times hurt people hurt people. Isn't that true? When someone can be really mean or really vicious and and you come to find out later, well, maybe the reason that they were being that way was because of something that they had gone through. I mean, it wasn't wasn't really about you. It wasn't really about about this this person or this... It was about about something that happened a long time ago. It's made them who they are. That's why they lash out. That's why they're mean. That's why they're ugly. We find ourselves in those situations. And this is is tough. This This is maturity. This is looking like Christ. When we're being hurt by hurt people, there's an opportunity to minister to those people. To show them something maybe that they didn't think still existed. To show them something that, that maybe, maybe they've never experienced in their life. To show them Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus looked at these people who were here with these swords and these clubs and, and, and this immense number, knowing who they were and what they were there for and what they were going to do, and He said, I'm going. But He wasn't going just to go. He was going to save these people. These are the people that He died for. These are the people that He prayed for. These are the people that He would minister towards. And then finally in John 18 and verse 56, the Bible says all the disciples left Him and fled. Everybody. We've been in the upper room and we've had that awesome had awesome uh, Passover observance, you know. We've had this, this awesome meal and this time and He's told us so many things and we've reflected upon so many things and, and He's predicted so many things and, and we've come to the garden in the most intimate of situations and now we're gone. Now we're gone and we'll see tonight some of Peter and the struggle that they have there. But Jesus is all by Himself. Judas has sold Him out. Peter would soon betray him. The rest of his disciples, they couldn't even stay awake. He was all by himself. I don't know if you've felt a lot of ways, but I imagine most of you have felt alone. That's where Jesus was. 
You see, there will be times when I have to come face to face with life. And the question is, what will I choose? Not what do I have to do. What will I choose? Will I choose to follow Christ? Will I choose to put the will of God over the will of man? What will I choose? Will I, will I willingly acknowledge a deeper spiritual reality more than just what I see in front of my face? When the whole world seems that it's spinning out of control and terrible things are happening right and left, and I want to react as the flesh calls on me to react, will I acknowledge that there's something spiritual going on? Will I be like everyone else? Will I respond in, will I respond in a way that all of my peers and all in the world said, well, I, I, I can't blame Him for doing that. That's exactly what I would do. I know why He did it. We've all had the conversation. Will I react that way? Or will I react in such a way that makes the world, and whether or not they acknowledge it or not, it makes the world say there's something different. There's something different about the character of that man, of that woman. There's something different about who they are. That's the question. And Jesus answered those questions in the garden on that Thursday night into that Friday morning when He was betrayed. When He was betrayed by Judas with a kiss. And the holiest man that the world has ever seen received a very unholy kiss. You know, the promise is made to you and to me by the one who knows something about it. The promise is made that I will never forsake you. And Jesus must have felt very alone that night. He must have. He wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. And there are times in our life that we can feel very alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. There is a God in heaven above that knows you and who loves you. And I beg and I plead that you do not take His silence as a sign that He does not love you. It could be that God is using you. It could be that God is using you to change you, to mold you, to make you. It could be that God is using you and preparing you to save another life. Maybe even to save another soul. On this night, He was using His Son to save the world. And friends, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, if you're here this morning and, and you've never been born again and come out of, up out of that watery grave to walk in a newness of life, I want you to know that this man, the Son of God, died for you so that that could happen. If you're here this morning and sin has ruled your life, I want you to know that this man died so that you could overcome that sin. If you're here this morning and you just feel overwhelmed, I want you to know that this man, the Son of God, Jesus the Nazarene, died so that you actually could find strength and comfort in Him. I don't know how this hits you, but wherever it hits you, friends, bring it to Christ because He died for you. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?